Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I, last week I shared a bunch of grim statistics about uh, the influence of church and the influence of Christianity in this world, and especially here in, in America. And uh, the church is declining in its influence on people's lives. Um, and it's sad to say uh, I might have to find new work someday if uh, the, the trend continues. Um, but uh, right now we are in a, a free fall of sorts where the church is becoming less and less significant to more and more people. And uh, what do we do with that as the church? How do we respond to a broken world, to people that are coming out of all these sorts of different types of lifestyles? Fewer and fewer people, fewer and fewer children are growing up in, in, in a traditional kind of family as we think of it in our country. And fewer and fewer kids are influenced by the church um, and so what do we do with this and how do we respond to people who are coming out of that lifestyle and all sorts of different uh, difficult situations in coming into the church? Uh, you know, historically, the church has taken several different views. One is to shun people. <laughs> and so if you don't fall in line and if you don't look the same way and if you don't dress the right way and if you don't say the right things and if you don't stand up and sit down and kneel and all the things at the right times, then you get shunned. Uh, and that's oftentimes uh, the church's default, that people who are not like us, the people who are outside of the norm, the people who don't, you know, look like churchy people are shunned. Um, another way the church has dealt with these folks is to uh, just ignore them. <laughs> Shunning is an active kind of, you know, get away from us and stay out of here. We're going to bar the doors. Uh, ignoring is another way of shunning it's 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 the passive way where you just you don't even bother to talk to them you don't even bother to see them uh we do this when we're in downtown denver and there's homeless people don't we uh we ignore them uh because we don't know what to do sometimes and so it's not intentional we don't we we, we think well if i give them 10 bucks they might go get drugs or alcohol i don't want to help that so in order just to avoid that we ignore it we act like they're not there some of us do that with children right <laughs> Just ignore them. They're not there. Uh, some of us do that with old people. We ignore them. They're not there. We do tend to ignore people, and we ignore people who we don't value. And the church has, ex has also historically ignored people. And it's taken kind of this us for and no more kind of viewpoint, and at least we're saved, and we're in this holy huddle, and at least we know where we're going when we die, and, you know, to hell with the rest of the world. I'm just quoting Jesus by saying that roughly. And so there's the ignoring way. There's the shunning way. Uh, there's kind of uh, what liberal churches do where we just open up the doors and, hey, just come and we just love you and accept you for who you are. And look at the unicorn and, oh, butterflies. And, you know, it's just uh, it's just all about, you know, love and joy and acceptance and and doesn't matter what you do we just really like you and we we don't have any standards whatsoever you can believe whatever you want and it's okay with us and some churches i 
I don't think they should be called a church because they're not, because the church is built on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has a particular viewpoint on what truth is and a particular viewpoint on how we should live our lives. And so when a church just throws open the doors and says, hey, just whatever and do whatever you want, we don't really care and we won't ask you, don't ask, don't tell, you know, then you've got another type of problem. You no longer have the truth. You have all this wishy-washy love stuff, but without the truth. And so that's another way that churches have, have tried to solve this tension of, of how do we deal with people who are, are sinners? And if we're honest, aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, look around you. No, really, look around you. I mean, everybody washes up pretty good. You're all looking pretty nice today. Way to go. Uh, but... If they were to just walk up, if our standard means of greeting each other was to just share with you our deepest, darkest sin, you know, could you imagine? I mean, nowadays we walk up and we say, hey, how you doing? Fine. Right. That's kind of the standard answer. I've started saying horrible or miserable just so people will talk to me longer than fine. Because <laughs> when you say miserable, they're like, you know, it's, it's out of the box. They don't know what to do with that answer. And so really why I'm like, I just said miserable. Cause I knew you were just asking fine. You didn't really talk, wanted to talk to me. You were just saying hello. Right. That's weird. I know, but that's what I do sometimes. <laughs> now, what if people like, you know, hi, I'm Sally and I need tons of validation because I've grown up all my life thinking that I'm ugly and worthless. And what, are, and who are you? I mean, could you imagine if, if somebody walked up to you and said that and you're like, whoa, too much information. Or, you know, what if Fred walked up and he's like, hi, yes, I look incredibly successful and I have lots of money, but I'm actually overcompensating for my insecurities. And because I'm always afraid that if I don't amount to much, I'm amount to, you know, I just want, people won't accept me and they won't like me and chicks won't dig me. And so I try to do this because I'm overcompensating for this. And yeah, it's a lonely place, but I deal with it with my addiction to alcohol and my addiction to pornography. But hey, how are you? Whoa. I mean, what would we do with that, you know? How, how would we handle that? I mean, we just think if people just, you know, threw off our social mores, our, our, our way of greeting one another, the, the proper way. How are you today? Fine. And you? Fine. Okay, great. See ya. I mean, just think if somebody just... And you've been there, right? There's been those people that don't know that stuff, that you shouldn't do that, and they just... Back up the truck and unload on you. And what do you do when that happens? It's interesting because uh, we all put on a great face. We all can clean up really well. But none of us are perfect. None of us. I mean, think of the most perfect person you can think of. You know, somebody you don't know very well. Billy Graham. Uh, Mother Teresa. Think of the most perfect person that you could ever imagine or come across or read about. None of them are perfect. It's impossible. By definition, and Dell Taggett will get into this in our, uh, in our teaching in Sunday school this morning. But by nature, we are born sinful. I mean, if you don't believe this, have children. Have one, then have two, and then see how quickly the word mine enters the vocabulary. I mean, even if you don't teach it, they will figure it out. <clears throat> mine. How did that happen? 
They're like natural born sinners or something, you know, or as soon as one of them doesn't like it, they just pop the other one in the eyeball. It's like, okay, they've never seen me do that to their mom and mom's never done that to me. How did they figure that out? We've only been watching Barney on television. Has Barney been doing that? I mean, what is going on? How has our child figured out, pop them in the eyeball? That's how you get mine back. It's like they're natural born sinners. And so how does the church deal with this? And last week I, I built the case up that we are supposed to be gracious. We're supposed to be like Jesus because the church is the body of Christ. That's what scripture says over and over and over again. The church is the body of Christ. And if we're Christ's body, we're supposed to look like Christ. We're supposed to do the stuff Jesus does. And Jesus loves and accepts sinners. Because if he didn't, no one would be loved or accepted by Jesus. By definition. And so Jesus loves and accepts sinners. And in fact, he seems in the scriptures, you see that people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. I mean, they like the guy. They want to be around the the guy. They enjoy it. They crave his presence. They like Jesus and people. and, and, And Jesus also seems to like people that are nothing like him. And so how can we be like that? And last week I tried to unpack that. Today I'm going to go a little further and we're going to look at the parable, that, the first parable that Jesus teaches because there's this tension. And I was talking with somebody from our church this week and she articulated this tension. And that is how can we, how can we be gracious and accepting, but at the same time, they're sinning. There, there's sin in their life. There's, there's wrong in their life. And how can, we, how can we be gracious and accepting, but this is bad. And there's a tension there. And I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer solves this tension. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in Germany. He died at the hands of Hitler. He was ordered to be executed just hours before Hitler killed himself. I mean, just a tragic story. And he was a young, amazing theologian. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer came up with this idea called cheap grace and costly grace. And it's in his book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he says this about cheap grace. Um, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. And back in the 30s and 40s, When he wrote this book in the 30s, 1930s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed, and he came to the States and he was appalled at the theological reflection in 1933 that was going on in America. He went to church after church. He never heard the gospel preached. The only churches he went to and heard the gospel proclaimed were African-American black churches in 1933 in America. He was disgusted by what he heard because he heard a lot of cheap grace Hey, God loves you and don't worry about it. In fact, another way of of putting this is this idea that, of course, you have sinned, but now everything is forgiven. So you can stay as you are and enjoy the consolation of forgiveness. (laughs) And that just ticked Dietrich off. Irritated him to no end. And he felt that the counter was costly grace. 
costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think this is a masterful way to solve this tension. You see, when I use the word grace, when I use the word acceptance, when I use the word love, I don't mean stay that way. (laughs) I don't mean approval. Jesus, when he uses the word grace and acceptance and love does not mean approval. And our culture thinks that's what it means. Well, if you accept me, you approve of me. No, I accept you. I love you. I care about you, but I don't approve. If you're a parent, you know how this works because you've had these children Some of you for a long time and sometimes they irritate you and you accept them. Oh my gosh, you accept them. I mean, look at the, the lengths you go to accept them. My kids usually say, well, what's in it for me? Uh, like lunch tomorrow and the day after that and place to sleep. I mean, if you know, right. What do you mean? What's in it for you? What's in it for me is a better question, buddy. But We accept them and we love them and we care about them. But there's these times, right? Because all parents have this big button on their back and children go up and they go, they press it all the time. You're like, what, what now? What's going on? And when they're in middle school, it's like this pressing the button. I don't know what it is. It's like a spiritual gift or something that the children get as soon as they hit seventh grade. Huh, annoy you, right? I love my kids. I accept them, but I don't approve of some of their behaviors, right? You understand this? And if you approve of your kids' behaviors, then you raise kids that nobody likes to be around. Everybody goes, oh my gosh, some people's kids. But if we accept them and love them and we don't approve of what they're doing, we correct them. We plead with them sometimes. Please be wise. Make wise choices. Go to school and learn something. Please read the Proverbs. Do something. Right? I mean, we, we, we read a book. We listen to a preacher. We listen to a teacher. We, look, we go to PBS. I need help with raising my children. Something. We approve of them when their behavior is what we want to see in them. We accept them regardless. And grace in the church and grace in Jesus works the same way. In fact, as we look at this passage in Luke 15, you'll see this principle at work. You will. Now it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because you were here last week. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what's that word? Muttered. Mutters. That's another way that the church can handle people who are different than them, right? And we talked about that. We fleshed that out last week. Muttering. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that she's here today. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe. Did you? Oh, my goodness. Look at her. Right? And there's all this undercurrent of mutter. 
this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Because Jesus hears the muttering. Nothing gets by God, okay? I mean, just in case you didn't know that. Nothing gets by God. Nothing got by Jesus. And Jesus heard the muttering. And these three parables were told to the mutterers. It was for their benefit. It wasn't directly for the benefit of the tax collectors and sinners. I mean, they benefited, but it was really aimed at the mutterers. So if you're a mutterer, listen up. Jesus has words for you. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Whenever Jesus tells a parable, it's a metaphor. It's important to know. And what he's doing in a parable is he's saying, you're one of the characters in this. And he's one of the characters in this. And other people are one of the characters in this. And so the the trick is figuring out who you are in the parable. Now, Jesus starts out by saying, suppose you have a hundred sheep. Guess who we are in the parable? Just, Just wild guess. The sheep. Good. Excellent. Hundred sheep. By the way. There's this pastor named Douglas McMillan. He pastored in Scotland and he was a shepherd for 12 years before he became a shepherd. And he wrote a book called the Lord is my shepherd based on Psalm 23. And he says this, a sheep is a stupid animal. They lose their direction continually as cats and dogs and other animals do not. In addition, sheep are extremely obstinate. Even when you find the lost sheep, it is very difficult to round them up and bring them home unless you have a dog to scare them. You see, when Jesus says that you are a sheep, we get this warm, fluffy picture and we see Jesus with a lamb, you know, it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And it's like, okay, this is why men don't like church. It's like, I don't want to be snuggled by Jesus. That's weird. I mean, what's going on here? When you are called a sheep, it is a very important but well-intentioned insult about your spiritual life. Jesus says, you're stupid. The scripture over and over and over again says, you're stupid. You are. I'm sorry if you haven't heard this before. I'm breaking this news to you now. Spiritually, you're stupid. And Jesus says that you're like a sheep who can't find their way home. We have two cats who are outdoor cats. And when we got them, I said, outdoor cats become indoor cats when it's cold enough. And it's been true. That's funny, but apparently nobody cares. (laughs) And the outdoor cats usually spend the time outside. But do you know what? We moved and we let those outdoor cats outside. And do you know what was amazing? They found their way to our new home. We, we didn't, we didn't like take the cat. And okay, now this is the street and this is, this is this street. And then you go over here home and we didn't do any of that. They just know. Now, if you have a sheep, 
and you stay put in the same home for 50 years? Okay, I've told this to you a hundred times. This is home. I'm not going to let you out again unless you figure this out on your own. But no, the sheep, huh? What? Walking around, clueless, lost again. And then you have to go out. You have to find the sheep. And the interesting thing is what this shepherd says is you have to grab them, hog tie them, carry them home over your shoulders. Did you see what Jesus said the shepherd does? He picks the sheep up. He carries it over his shoulders home because a sheep has defective GPS. Because a sheep never knows where it's at. A sheep's clueless. A sheep is stupid. And Jesus says, it's in there. Don't get mad at me. I'm the messenger. I'm a fellow sheep. Jesus says, we're sheep. That metaphor is an insult. It's not a warm, fuzzy thing. It's like, you're stupid. Can't find your way home. Can't keep yourself out of danger. Can't keep yourself clean. So Jesus goes and finds This tells us that we can't even participate in our salvation, this metaphor. A dog and a cat can participate in their own salvation. The master can go, home's that way. Oh, okay. There. A shepherd can't go, all right, that way. You can't participate in your own salvation. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Zip. Nothing you need a shepherd is what this parable says. You need one who comes and finds you and rescues you and brings you home. All of us need that because at the very core of you and of me, you are an utterly, utterly helpless, sinful person. It's what the Bible tells Time and time again. Now, Jesus in this story is the shepherd. There we go. Shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. And he comes and he rescues the one sheep. And then he says in verse 7, this is key. This is irony. Did you know that there was irony in scripture? Now you do. I got to find my place. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. (laughs) Do you see the irony in there? That word do not need to repent. Who is he telling the parable to? He's telling it to the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. And they think they don't need to repent. Because they have it all together. I mean, after all, that's why we're muttering. And people who mutter, listen, people who mutter have never experienced grace. That's why they mutter. If you're a mutterer, you don't know Christ. Stick that in your muttering book. You don't know Christ if you mutter because you've never experienced grace. Because you know, you know the words from my amazing grace are true of you who saved a wretch like me. 
You know that to be true of you. If you've experienced Christ's grace, if you have experienced what Jesus has done on the cross for you, that he lived the life you couldn't live, but you should have, and he died the death that you deserve to die, if you understand that, then you just sing that part of the song out full throttle, full voice, because you understand he saved a wretch like me. And fellow wretches don't mutter at other wretches. You see, we're all saved by grace. And this is irony because he's saying to the Pharisees, you think you don't need to repent, but you do. In fact, you're self-righteous. You're smug. It's what keeps them from God. I mean, their rules and their legalism and their looking down at other people because, well, thank God I'm better than them. And it's actually what keeps them from God. But Jesus says, those who do repent, one sinner. Now, remember, I've tried to build the case that we're all sinners. That's all of us. And any of us who repent. Now, that's a very important word. Bonhoeffer used it in his definition of cheap grace, saying that grace without repentance is cheap grace. What is repentance? Repentance is realizing you're wrong and turning the other direction. Realizing that your behavior is sin and turning the other direction, forsaking it, walking away from it, saying no more and following Christ. You see, when you sin, you're not following Christ. It's impossible. Because Jesus is without sin. And so therefore to sin, you've verged off into another field. You've gone into another path. You are following something else. James says that when you sin, you're following your own evil desires. And so when you sin, you are no longer following Christ. The two are mutually exclusive. You can't do it. And so when we repent and see the error in our way, I mean, truly repent, not just confess. Confess is different. God, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. That's confess. Repent is, and this is what Dietrich said is so important in costly grace. Repent is, I'll not do this again. I'll go the other direction. I will follow Christ now and not my own stuff. Now, by the way, before you, you know, some of you are concerned and you're looking at me like you want to talk to me. I struggle with this every day. Now, here's the tension. Some of us live our lives going, I know I'm going to sin on purpose. I'm going to go out and sin on purpose and Jesus will be there for me when I show back up to ask for forgiveness. And so we play this little game with God and we're on this hamster wheel and we keep going to our sin and coming back and asking for forgiveness. And we go to sin and we come back and ask for forgiveness. And we go to sin and we come back and ask for forgiveness. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Same sin, same repentance, same sin, same repentance, same sin, same repentance. Jesus wants to get you off the hamster wheel. He doesn't, he's not proud of you for, you know, being stuck like that. 
One illustration I heard about sin was when we're sinful and when we're living in sin, it's like we're in this dark cage. And we don't know how small the cage is that we're in because it's dark. And we don't know how filthy the cage is is because it's dark. But then Christ's light shines and illuminates this cage we're in. And Christ actually opens up the cage and, and, and then we run out and we experience God's grace and freedom. But for some reason, we feel scared or, or confused or whatever. So we run back into the cage because it's what we know. You've seen those commercials for Febreze? With the people with like nastiness in front of them, in front of their noses. And they're like, oh, I just feel like I'm on like a beach in the Bahamas. This is amazing. And then they take the blindfold off and it's like, oh, gross, man. You had me sniffing that. That's what sin is. And it's not till Christ comes and illuminates it and shows you what you're sniffing, what you're rolling around in, what you're rubbing on yourself and going, this is amazing lotion. I like this. What you are busy bathing yourself in. And Jesus shines the light on and goes, you're a wreck. You're a mess. And Christ in his kindness does that for us. Christ in his grace does that. For us. Well, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He's a pastor, lived a long time ago in England. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. To land this sermon, it's been a bumpy flight, hasn't it? We've taken a few. It's been some loop to lose in here. To land this sermon, I want you to imagine. What would it be like to get off the hamster wheel? What would it like be like to get out of the cage and stay out of the cage? What would it be like, as Jesus says, to be born again? You see, you didn't, you had nothing to do with your birth. Did you know that? Zip. I mean, you showed up after nine months. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your parents. That one is free, moms and dads. You showed up and you had nothing to do with it. And your spiritual rebirth is the same kind of thing. You have absolutely nothing to contribute to it. You have nothing to do with it. Following Jesus is not about trying. It is about God's grace. But it is also about repentance. It is about following Jesus with the grace he gives you. Let me be very honest. Some of you are very comfortable in your sin you're living in. It doesn't nauseate you. The way it nauseates God. Some of you are very comfortable. With sexual immorality. And it doesn't bother you the way it bothers God. Some of you are very comfortable with materialism. 
and possessing more and more and hoarding. And it doesn't bother you. In fact, people who hoard were the only folks in Scripture that Jesus called fools. Some of you are very comfortable wallowing around like a pig in the mud of sin. And Jesus wants to power wash you. Jesus wants to open your eyes to the filth you're in. Jesus, through his grace, do you hear that? Through his grace and his mercy, his love for you, he accepts you, but he wants so much more for you. And we're too comfortable with too little. I think Jesus wants some angry young men with fire in their eyes. Ones who do not see God's grace as a doormat, a place to wipe their feet. God wants people who will follow Christ. He wants radical disciples who won't just show up for an hour on a Sunday and endure a service. He wants people who get it and go deep with him and grow and decide, as it says in Hebrews, that they will throw off all the sin that hinders them. They will cast it off by God's grace to follow Christ. So this morning, I plead with you. I ask you, what does God want you to change by his grace? What is that cage you keep finding yourself in? What cage does God want to free you from? Are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to repent and follow him? It's your choice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is such an amazing Savior. We thank you for his radical grace that he shows us. We are lost spiritually and we think we know. We think we know our way. We think we know what will make us happy. We think we know what will fulfill us. We think we know. And in the pursuit of that, we often throw off your yoke and we run off to things that keep us far from you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to our true predicament. Holy Spirit, that you would speak into our hearts, that we would see how sinful we are. And that you would give us the grace and the faith to repent of our ways and to turn from it. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Because sinners need peace. Sinners need a shepherd. Will you listen to the shepherd this morning and this week? Amen.